All right, well, welcome to what's sometimes called Palm Sunday. Um, This is when we begin to remember what's called Holy Week, which is the last week that Jesus was alive before he was crucified and then spent a few days um, without a pulse and then came back bodily resurrected and is still living today in a, in a real body. But this week of Jesus' life is probably the most important week in human history. Uh, when you read the gospel stories, so there are four stories in the Bible about the life of Jesus, which we call the gospels, which means the good news. It's the record of his life. And most of these gospels spend a huge chunk of their time just talking about this last week because it's so important. And so we're going to read the story of when Jesus comes into Jerusalem to start this week. But let me just say this. This is the thing that makes knowing Jesus and following Jesus different than most other things. This isn't an ism. You know what I mean? This isn't just a bunch of people with acronyms and labels after their names sitting around thinking up good ideas about how we should live. What we believe is that a man came back from the dead and it changed everything because of who he was and what he did and what that means for us. So we're not just sitting around talking about great ideas. We are relating to the eternal creator spirit whose son became our savior in history, lived in Jerusalem, taught, fought, was caught, then killed, raised from the dead, and is reigning forever, and will come back one day. So this is a, what they call like a historical religion, if you like them big words. But what it means is we're not sitting around congratulating ourselves on how smart we are. We're responding to what has actually happened in reality. Anybody here like reality? I like, I'm a reality fan. I don't care what the news is, just give it to me straight. That's how I live. Amen? So I'm a reality fan, which some people might wonder, but you're a charismatic. Okay, yeah, it all works together. Just read the book. It'll be fine. But this is, this is my preamble. This is why we talk about these records of history. And I've titled the message today, Surprise, Here's the King. I'm going to see if I can get this to work. Yours. All right, Luke 19, starting in verse 28. And when he, meaning Jesus, had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, these are these two um, towns outside of Jerusalem, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which No one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Sounds reasonable. You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who went, sorry, those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, 
the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he, Jesus, answered, I tell you, if they were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when they drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the day will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Father God, would you help us to process your word together in eternal life and faith in Jesus. So, if you've been a Christian a long time, can we just admit something? For people who aren't churched, this is a strange story. So some guy's going to some city, um, he commits Grand Theft Auto, <laughs> I guess Grand, Grand Theft Equine, I guess that's what it would be called, and then rides in on it, there's this party, everyone tells him to be quiet, he says no, and then he starts crying over what's going to happen to the city. Slightly strange, True. I love the strangeness of Scripture. Whenever I start getting confused, I know this is when the message is starting to flow. Whenever I feel like, what's going on here? This is where the good stuff is. And so we're going to look at this story together. So just to recap, Jesus has been ministering and making a name for himself for about three years now. Okay, So Jesus went from um, podcast to YouTube to TikTok fame, to getting signed up with Spotify, and now he's on the tour. And so he's kind of at the height of his popularity. You know what I'm talking about, how some, some guys do that? They start off with just some clips, and it gets on the internet, and the next thing you know, Joe Rogan is like the world's most listened-to newscaster. Anybody tracking with me at, at all? And it's just, he's more popular than CNN and Fox News and, and MSNBC all put together, even though he's just this weird comedian UFC guy who just likes to talk. It's just, this is a sense of Jesus's like grassroot movement. He was just some carpenter's kid who went around telling the truth about God, fixing what people were thinking about the scriptures and healing pretty much everybody he got in contact with. And as he was doing this, he was becoming more and more popular, more and more famous, more and more people having different ideas of who he was. But he'd been telling his disciples that his career was meant to end in Jerusalem so that he could start it afresh from a different angle. And so he's on this uh, trajectory into the city. And so this is the big show. This is the Madison Square Garden event. This is where he's finally got his Netflix deal and he's finally huge and popular and he's going to blow it all up and melt it all down because Jerusalem's not doing very well. But he's got some scripture to fulfill and so he needs a donkey. And Jesus has been living poor for a long time. He's just been living off of the generosity of people and especially some rich ladies, Luke tells us earlier. So who knows the story? Very often uh, wealthy men would marry young and die early 
and these women would grow up with their, these riches to spend on people, and some of them came to faith and were believing in Jesus, and he was interning at their church, and so they were supporting him financially. Shameless plug. Now that I've acknowledged it, it's not awkward. But I'm giving you a sense of his life. So he needs a donkey to fulfill scripture. And so he talks to two of his disciples and he says to them, uh, over there, you go this place, you're going to find a, a, a young donkey. And he specifically says, it's this kind of donkey that no one's ever sat on before. How would anybody know? Unless you're Jesus and you know whatever you want to know. Because you're the son of God and a prophet in the Holy Spirit. So in there, there's a donkey no one's ever ridden before. You guys, you two nameless disciples, you go pick it up. Oh, and by the way, if anybody ever hassles you, you just tell them the Lord needs it, and everything will be great. And it's really interesting. Can you imagine this scenario where you're sent with your buddy, and it's, it, it is a little bit like this. Okay, so there's this car license plate, UMF 815, and it's over at the Superstore parking lot. I need it, so you're just going to go there. The keys are in, hidden in the dash or the, the visor. Just gonna, the door's not locked. You're going to pull it down. And if someone says, hey, what are you guys doing with this car? You just tell them Rob needs it <laughs> for an illustration at church. Would you be nervous? Well, they do it, and it all works out fine, and that's wonderful. I sometimes wonder, this isn't in the Bible, but I sometimes wonder if the owner was just so stunned that he just followed along, but kind of laughing because the Bible says that this colt, no one had ever ridden on it before. So I'm not a horse expert, but what that usually means is that it hasn't been broken. Like horses don't actually like having people jump on their back and riding them around. They usually kick and buck and whinny and neigh and, and throw a fit until you break their spirit. So this, this horse is likely not having, it's, it's not broken yet. It's not the kind of horse you can ride. But Jesus is like, I want one of those unrideable horses. Yeah, you bring it to me. We're going to figure this stuff out. So he gets on it. No problem. They head into the city. Everybody is understanding that this is one of the most significant moments in human history, that this man who has been performing miracles and being a prophet and doing things that no one's ever done before is entering into Jerusalem. And the people of, of uh, his disciples has been anticipating that this is God's son. This is the son of God. This is the Messiah. He's finally coming into Jerusalem. And they start to have this humongous party. And they're saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And they're absolutely right. This is the king that comes in the name of the Lord. Pause. Bible nerd moment. Okay? Can we nerd bird together for a second? If, this, if you're not nerdy, you'll, you'll survive. But nerd bird moment. Luke, the gospel writer, will often interpret the Jewishness of stuff into more understandable Greek culture. If you go and read Matthew, the crowds are actually shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Okay? If you've never been to church, does the saying, Hosanna to the son of David mean anything to you? No. What does Hosanna even mean? What does it mean that he's the son of David? So Luke 
is helping his audience understand what's going on by translating Hosanna to the son of David into blessed be the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Which is why, in part, Christians are A-OK with translations. Speaking of Ramadan and Islam, they don't do translations. The Quran is in Arabic. End of discussion. If you have a translation of it, it's not a translation. They'll call it like a commentary or something like that, but they do not believe it's the Word of God. Our Bible has translations of itself in the book. Amen? Our New Testament has translations of the Old Testament in the New Testament. Amen? So when we translate it from the original Greek or from the original Hebrew into English, God's already shown us that you can still call it the Word of God. And Luke can take the Jewishness of Hosanna to the son of David and turn it into what we can understand by saying, blessed is the name of the, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, and it's still the word of God. But with help for people like us to understand it. Okay, end of the nerd moment. I can't promise that the rest of this message won't have heavy nerdiness in it, but whatever, I've officially declared it. Now, this is where things get interesting. The Pharisees are there. The Pharisees are a religious purity movement that has had problems with Jesus for quite some time. Some Pharisees came to faith in Jesus, so you can't totally brush everybody with the same brush stroke or hit everybody with the same broad brush stroke. But as a group... They had their own agenda of what they thought salvation looked like for Israel at this time. And Jesus was not doing what they thought needed to happen in order for Israel to come out from under the oppression of Rome and come into the blessing of God. And so they've been opposing him for a long time. Like those YouTube people where their whole channel is just debunking other people's stuff. You ever, you ever seen any of those channels? Somebody does a message, and then their whole thing is debunking that message. Somebody goes online, and their whole thing is debunking people online. You ever see anybody? That's where the Pharisees got backed into. Jesus would do something, and then they would talk about how he did it wrong. And that was becoming their whole culture. Jesus would heal somebody, and they say, you're doing it on the wrong day. Jesus would teach something, and they say, you're getting it wrong. And so here's this gigantic party. Everyone's happy. Everyone's worshiping Jesus. He is fulfilling scripture, riding on this miracle donkey, and they're upset, and they want Jesus to rebuke his disciples. And what they're really entering into is they're entering into what's going to be a whole week of uh, power struggles over authority. Because the Pharisees had this like grassroots authority over the people, and Jesus was coming with this I'm the son of God, authority. And we're having this big authority clash. Anybody been through two years of authority clashes recently? Who's got the right to tell who to do what, when, how, why? Peaceful stuff, right? Yeah. Can I make one joke about it? I never knew that Calvary was going to have a head covering issue.
But we made it through. Praise the Lord. Here we are. And the children God has given us. Anyhow, they, they want Jesus to rebuke him, and they're going to have all these fights about it. Jesus says, no way, because you wouldn't like what would happen if I did rebuke them. The very stones would cry out, and I wonder if that's like a threat of an earthquake or something like that. We all kind of imagine kind of like pebbles going, me, 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 but like when stones make noise, it's because tectonic plates are grinding. Just me? All right. And then Jesus starts to cry. Did you know that following Jesus can be emotionally complicated? This is the party people have been waiting for for like 400 years. The Messiah has shown up to his kingdom. This is the son of David that God promised David like 500 years ago, maybe longer, that one of his children is going to be sitting on the throne of Jerusalem forever. And they haven't had a king for centuries because they got defeated by multiple kingdoms. And they've got this Herod guy who isn't even Jewish ruling over them and they know nothing's right and they've been waiting forever for the king to show up. And here he is and it's party time for everyone but Jesus. And he starts to cry because these are his people and he's come to be their king. And they're not ready. And he knows a lot of them don't want him. And because he's not going to leave, they're going to have to deal with him. And Jesus is going to let it happen because that's, that's the real crown he came to wear, the crown of thorns. And he didn't just come to sit on a throne made of gold, he came to sit on a throne made of heaven. And the way to get there and to be the savior of his people was through the cross. So that's the story, and this is our day. All right, let's say some stuff about this. Amen? Yeah. Number one, surprise, here's your king, church. Let's make sure Jesus is the king, which means we do everything possible to not be having power struggles with him. And I mean me. Don't, don't short-circuit your transformation by going, yeah, you, Tyson. <laughs> don't do announcements. I might name you the message. Yeah, so-and-so. Like when we look at the story, the thing that broke Jesus' heart was when he came to be their king, when he came to love them and be their savior. He can do anything. He has all power, all authority in heaven and earth. He can do anything. He's been healing. He's been feeding people with loaves and fishes. He's been calming storms. He can do anything because he's the king. They wanted to fight about who's in charge. It's who's the boss. But nobody's laughing. And so the first thing I just, I just learned from the story for myself is with the triumphal entry and Jesus being proclaimed, here's the king, the king of Israel and the king of the world and the son of God, my best response is to be like, oh, let me not fight with you, Jesus. Oh, let my flesh be humble before you, Jesus. 
Oh, let your word be my word, Jesus. And let your will be my will, Jesus. And let me succumb to Christ and not fuss and not complain and not argue and not have that, that kicking against the goadness that we can do. Anybody here want to be the boss of your life? We like the control. We like the power. I find it doesn't work as well as a broken heart and a submitted spirit to the word of Christ. And even when it looks like Jesus' way is a dumb idea, there is so much blessing in the surrender. It doesn't really matter if it's a good idea. If God tells you, I will do a miracle for you, if you'll say yes to me. It can be a dumb idea if God's going to bring a miracle. Like telling someone to go steal a horse is a dumb idea. Unless point two, where he guides, he provides. We don't get this because we think, well, he's Jesus, he's the Lord. He told his disciples to go and take someone's horse. I don't tell anybody to do this. And they, they did get permission, but this is kind of crazy. And I get this point from Josh. We were talking about this story last night, and it's just amazing. He, people don't let other people steal their car. Ah! People don't let other people steal their car. I one time asked a family member if I could borrow their car for my anniversary, and they said no. They just did not trust me. You know, I need to get to work on Monday, just like hard pass. You know, it was just like that. And then it's like, hey, strangers, what are you doing with my donkey? We need it. Okay. No details on how this worked out. But the story teaches us that with the king, if he tells us to do something, he's going to back up how it will get done. I want you to go to that place. There's going to be a donkey. No one's ridden it. When you find it, go and take it. By the way, when someone asks you about you taking it, here's your magic words. Just say, the Lord needs it. And it's going to be great. Amen? Hey, didn't we like pray about and talk about taking the names Lord over situation, the Lord's name, excuse me, over situations? Didn't we talk about that earlier today? You're taking this horse, somebody's confronting you, name the Lord over this situation here. I am not telling you to steal anything. But where he guides, he provides. This is crazy. Does anybody here feel like if you really give your life to Jesus and really commit to doing whatever he says at the cost, you're going to end up broke and broken? You're different, though. (laughs) I do. If we really say yes to Jesus, what's the cost going to be? We do this. What's the cost, Lord? Hey, go get that horse. Okay, what's the cost going to be? The cost is going to be seeing Jesus fulfill his plan with our obedience. Because where he guides, he provides. Man, there's so many people. Anybody here not 
here during this whole building renovation thing at Calvary. Can you put up your hand if you weren't here while we were renovating this building? Okay. You guys just don't know <laughs> what it was like. I love you. Welcome. Enjoy the chairs. We were so broke one time. Couldn't sell our old building. Maxed out all our lines of credit. Greg and I sitting in that office when he was the only one with an office saying to each other, don't sell your car until the checks start bouncing. Because we had 2000 bucks, And payday was next week. And we <laughs> went against the flesh and chose not to panic and people were supporting, but we just kept going. Here we are. And you all, we all get that moment where, we're, where you're like, I was so dumb to worry. Anybody? A disciple of Rob Balfour and say the words, I was so dumb to worry. Jackie, sometimes my wife Jackie, will say to me, if you worry about this, you're going to regret it. <laughs> so good. She's wonderful. <laughs> Point number three. We can trust Jesus and not want to fight with him as he's telling us what to do because Jesus has no bucking broncos. He tells them to go get the one kind of horse no one can ride so that when he goes into Jerusalem riding it, everybody knows something's going on. Amen? He goes and tells them, Go get the horse where you're going to have to see a miracle where created nature is overcome while I go in here in order to accomplish this. So that when all the disciples, especially those two disciples, see Jesus just kind of be like, hey, stinky, or whatever the Lord would call a donkey's colt, because I'm sure they don't smell that great. And they just well, let's put a blanket on there and hop on up, and it doesn't do anything but comply, they're learning a lesson. When Jesus sits on something as king, it is not a bucking bronco. And we can trust Jesus because the world is not a bucking bronco to him, and inflation is not a bucking bronco to him, and interest rates are not a bucking bronco to him, and the movement of flower around the world is not a bucking bronco to him. He's the Lord. And he's been stopping storms, and he's been casting out demons, and he's been increasing the, the amount of mass in the universe by turning a little bit of fish into a lot of fish quite easily for years. And we find it hard to believe, but it's still true. Point number four, being nameless can be a good sign. I'm not sure this is like a hard and fast rule in Scripture, but did you notice that these two disciples aren't named? Right? And he sent two of the disciples. And the thing that kills me about this is that this is one of the few times where the disciples really nail it. <laughs> Amen? Who panicked? When they were standing on the water and started to sink. Peter, right? 
Who was the spazoid about the food? I think it was Andrew. Okay. Who denied Christ? Peter, poor Peter. It seems a little bit like when they were getting it wrong, there was a label. There was kind of like mug shots after every discipleship failure. They stand there, didn't believe about the fish. You know, Peter of Galilee, looking like, looking stoned. Ugh. But this was a discipleship win. Jesus says, go do something scary. Use the words I tell you to use. Bring back the cult. And they did it. They had faith. They had obedience. And nobody finds out who did it. (laughs) Am I crazy here? This is really funny. Who are the ones arguing about who's going to be seated beside Jesus on the right hand and the left? We know that. James and John. Bunch of behind-the-back power manipulating. Ask your mom to go ask for favors. Mom's boys. Then they're all fighting about that afterwards. Named failures. Not named success. Is this fair? Well, of course it is. Because the point is Jesus. The point's Jesus. It's very hard to stay living there, especially when things are going well. Let's do a great job about not talking about how how good Calvary is. Amen? Let's not spoil what Jesus is doing by talking about having a good church. True fact? Let's be excited about meeting with Jesus. And if you feel like you can meet him at certain times and places around here, under certain skylights, good. But let's like take this story to heart. A win is when Jesus is king and his disciples don't have names. That's, that's rough. Because it feels like a sacrifice sometimes to, ser- to serve him. You're kind of like, I wouldn't mind a little plaque somewhere. You know, just a little plaque. And sometimes it's like the only plaque you're ever going to get is in between your teeth. Like, this is about the Lord. It's very humbling. But I think it's going to be super healthy to work on this stuff mentally. Oh man, Lord, if your name could be so great and people forget who said that stuff that really changed their life. That would be awesome. And finally, number five. There we go. Let's have a rescuer in Jesus. Um... I'm just really struck by Jesus' weeping over people misunderstanding what God was doing and then missing his salvation because they didn't get what was going on. Amen. And I think, even though we're not in Jerusalem and there's not going to be a cross happening, I think we can be so tripped up being offended by things not going according to our plan instead of being willing to let it go according to Jesus' salvation. If that makes sense. 
And so let me just like say a couple of things. I didn't make this up. I'm borrowing this from someone smarter to me than me. They were talking about how disappointment in the family can lead to um, loss of faith in people growing up in a church. And in part it's because God is a father. And when you're growing up and you're a little kid, like mom and dad are God. That makes sense? Like they're bigger than you, they're stronger than you, you pray through tears and crying and stuff magically appears in your mouth. And when you're tiny, they feel like God. And they are the definition of right and wrong. But as you get older, you start to realize that uh, at best they have flaws. And at worst they have catastrophic sins. True? And you always think, I'm not going to be that one when I'm older, but I regularly remember that someday Josh is going to be talking to somebody about all the stuff I got wrong. It keeps you humble. But what everybody needs to be able to do is to see the image of God in the world, whether it's through parents or church leaders or other Christians, see the image of God in them so that they can know God. But when the expectation of perfection starts to obviously fall off, that's when we need to raise our eyes to Jesus and the Father afresh because they are, in the Holy Spirit, the only sources of perfection we're ever going to meet. And if our expectation is that a human being is going to be the godly perfection we're going to build our life upon, and if they fail us, our faith is wrecked, we're premeditating unbelief. And we're kind of like those Pharisees who had this idea of what God coming for salvation is going to look like, and we're so disappointed in Jesus when he finally shows up that we just want to fight with him about how he's doing it wrong until we kill him, and then he raises from the dead, and in the year 70 AD, sends the Roman army to destroy everything. That was a fail. Instead, we are supposed to use both the faithfulness of people, broken people, as well as the failures of broken people to lead us to the faithfulness and perfections of God the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only Savior. He's the only saving King. He's the only one that won't let us down. And even though he's perfected, we sometimes feel like he lets us down. We're wrong, but we can still feel that way. But we're meant to leap from the discouragement and disappointment and pain of human failure or human disappointment and realize afresh, actually only God is my Savior and perfecter. And only Jesus is my King. And come and find him afresh in our pain and disappointment. Amen? And so this is what I mean by let's have a rescuer in Jesus. Lots of the institutions in Canada don't seem as reliable as they used to be. That's, that is a feature, not a bug. That is part of the rebirth, the resurrection of the Church of Canada to get our confidence out of debt-spending institutions and into the resurrection power of the kingdom of God. 
And yeah, there can be lots of injustice, and we can talk about this. I love to talk about that kind of stuff. But I don't preach it because our faith needs to grow in Christ as our confidence in people is removed. That's the only option. We are members and citizens of the unshakable kingdom. Amen? And this is the mission. Find the rescuer in Jesus. Don't fight with him about how he's coming to us in power. Trust with confidence that whatever he calls us to do, he already has a plan to see it through. Understand that no matter what we're going through, he reigns with peace and can give us his peace. And let's be okay for our participation to be a little bit less me-centered than we were originally planning. And it will be wonderful. I'll invite the team up and let's pray. Father God, we just give you this holy week. I can't even imagine what Jesus was feeling that day coming into his kingdom and weeping over his future crucifixion and still giving and loving and giving and loving and giving and loving, knowing that half the people who were receiving him into Jerusalem were going to be cheering his crucifixion in a few days. Oh, my Savior. But Lord, would you just choose us as a people to find the resurrection power of God in this time? Lord, as we meditate on Easter coming up, this time where you were literally dead, the Lord of life literally dead, knowing that there are times where we walk through the valley of the shadow of death with you, I pray our faith would be in the future joy and in the resurrection of Christ as we wait on you. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us ever-growing confidence to be used in power in these turbulent days. And all God's people said...